0: Welcome to this week's edition of Fair Territory, and dare I say, it's going to be a doozy. People ask me all the time, do you ever have problems coming up with things to write about? No, not in baseball. They play every day. There's always things going on. The issue I have is selecting which things to write about and eliminating certain things that I want to write about. So let's get to my primary topic of the week. We've got actually a few primary topics. We're going to get to Otani. But we're going to start with the AL West, and we're going to start with that division because it's the best race going right now, and I was just in Minnesota watching the Rangers play. The Rangers are falling apart, and the Mariners have taken the division lead. This is the first time since August 24, 2003, they've been in first place this late in the season. So let's start off by taking a look at the American League West standings because it's a little surprising based on the way this season has gone, there's Seattle leading the division, Texas and Houston just one game behind. The Mariners have won 11 of 12, 19 of 23, 21 of their past 26. Remember, this was a team that traded their closer at the deadline, Paul Sewald, and yet they've gotten stronger. They've gotten stronger because their bullpen remains one of the best in the game, even without Sewald. Andres Munoz has stepped up in the closer role. They've got a number of other guys as well who have performed brilliantly. I write about that today in the windup, the Athletics Free Daily Baseball newsletter. And they remain in this position because their offense has surged. This is a team that finally has gotten it together offensively. And right now, they're the hottest team in baseball. So what is going on with the Rangers? And this is a fascinating discussion because... Here's a team that was dominant for the first half, even when Corey Siegel went down. They've had a great run. Now they're missing Josh Young, and that has hurt them, no question. They were missing Jonah Heim for a time. He finally is getting back on track, it seems, offensively. But this team is not the same offensive team that we have seen for much of the year. They've lost 9 of 10. They're in second place for the first time since April. And one reason that they're in this position is their offense. It is not performing at the same level. And it's funny. In mid-June, I quoted a rival executive anonymously saying that the Rangers' performance with runners in scoring position was, quote, laugh out loud, unsustainable, unquote. And the usual fans squawked on Twitter. Yeah, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, at the time, the Rangers' batting average with runners in scoring position was 322. 322! It was 34 points higher than the next closest team. And yes, it was laugh out loud, unsustainable, and now we're seeing it. In this 10-game run, in which they've gone one and nine, batting average with runners in scoring position, 110. 110. This is baseball evening out. This is what happens in the game. You can't sustain a 322 batting average with RISP all season long. The other issue for the Rangers, perhaps the bigger issue, because we all expect their offense to get going again is their bullpen, which has been a season-long problem. They acquired Aroldis Chapman. They acquired Chris Stratton in the Jordan-Montgomery deal, but they still are having issues. During this 10-game run, bullpen has allowed 31 runs, six blown saves. So those are the Rangers. They're still going to be okay, I believe. Bruce Bochy is their manager. There's no panic there, but they are in a rut right now. And finally, in the AL West, the Houston Astros. Here's a team that is a perennial power, a team we can expect to be there at the end of the season, a team that offensively is in a great place. I do wonder about their starting pitching. Verlander has looked really good for them for the most part. Framber Valdez, he's had the no-hit bids and the no-hitter, but he's been inconsistent since the break. Hunter Brown and Christian Javier, since the break, five ERAs. So their starting pitching is a little bit in a funky place right now. And their bullpen the same. Presley has struggled. Maton has struggled. They've got Kendall Graveman, acquired him at the deadline. Montero's been better. Abreu's been great. But I'm not so sure that their pitching overall is in the place where they want it to be. Bottom line, though, these three teams all could make the playoffs. And I want to show you the wildcard standings right now, the American League wildcard standings. Because they're quite revealing. We all talk about the AL East as this behemoth, this amazing division. Oh, my gosh. Every team's going to finish over 500. Uh, no. Look at what's going on here. Tampa Bay, right behind Baltimore in the AL East, leading the wild card race quite comfortably, actually. Then you've got Texas and Houston. And then Toronto, a team that my colleague Andy McCullough has referred to as a paper tiger. Yeah, they're looking like it. They have yet to ignite this season. They've played okay at times, but they're two and a half back in the wildcard race. Matt Chapman, Bo Bichette left yesterday's game, both with injuries. We don't know their status just yet. And then the Red Sox, four and a half back. I don't know that they're really a factor here. Not consistent enough. Too many questions all around. So it's quite conceivable. We're going to see three American League West teams in the playoffs and two from the AL East and then the Minnesota Twins winning the AL Central. All right, that wraps it up for the AL West. I want to go now to the AL Central, just mention them briefly, and talk about the Twins. I saw them as well this weekend, and this is a team that, of course, has lost 18 straight postseason games. They have not won a postseason series since the American League Division Series in 2002. You might remember those Twins teams, they had A.J. Pruszynski, Doug Vinkiewicz, Torrey Hunter. Big Poppy was on that team. Christian Guzman, Johan Santana, Eric Milton, Kyle Loesch, Brad Racky. Those twins. That's the last twins team to win a postseason series. And I'm here to tell you, I believe this year's team has a chance to end that streak. And it's interesting because offensively, they have been much better. Remember, the first half, they were quite disappointing offensively. Kepler was a mess. Correa, total mess. Buxton's been the DH. Then he got hurt in early August. They have not been or had not been what we thought they could be offensively. And yet, look at them now. Look at where they have been since the All-Star break in runs per game because it's quite revealing. The Twins, of all teams, third in the American League in runs per game since the All-Star break. The Astros leading 5.85 runs per game. The Mariners next at 5.44. And then the Twins at 5.23 and you might ask well how have they done this Correa just now starting to get hot last 18 games been on base in every one of them Buxton's been out as I said those two guys are the keys to their offense but they've gotten contributions from two young left-handed hitters Matt Wallner and Eduardo Julian. they've gotten Max Kepler in a resurgent way he's having a big second half and they have a bunch of role players guys like Kyle Farmer Donovan Solano Willie Castro, these guys have contributed in a big way. Royce Lewis has come up. Cotton Healthy finally made a contribution. It's a complete offensive team. They've got options. Rocco Baldelli can mix and match. It's impressive. And if they get Buxton back playing the outfield, big if I know, then it opens up the DH spot and makes the offense even more interesting. The other reason I'd like the Twins potentially to win a postseason series, yes, I said it, they're starting pitching quite good. Sunny Gray, Joe Ryan came back Saturday, looked good, Pablo Lopez. Those three would be the head of the rotation. You can stick Kent to my in the bullpen. You can make Bailey over your swing man. He struggled, I know. And you've got the possibility of a couple of guys going back or coming back from injuries, Chris Paddock being one of them, coming off of Tommy John. He apparently looks great. So the Twins Admittedly, they're playing in a weak division, a division in which every other team sold at the deadline, so their competition within that division is not great. At the same time, they've got a chance here, and it's going to be difficult for them. They probably will match up with one of the AL West teams in the first round, and that's not easy. But at the same time, this is a better Twins team than we've seen in recent postseasons, and I expect a better showing. I expect, first of all, a win. One win, a game win, and then maybe even a series win. Finally, in this first segment, I want to talk about the National League MVP race because it is downright fascinating. Now, clearly, we've got five weeks to go or so and a lot will play out here. But that race right now is looking more competitive than it has looked at any point this season. We all thought this would be Acuna's to lose and it's not like he's losing it. Here is a player with 28 home runs and 59 stolen bases. Could be the first player in history to go 30-60. This is a player who is batting 330 for a first-place team, a player who has keyed their dominant first innings all season long, his lowest monthly OPS has still been above 900, and he might not win the MVP. It's incredible. The guy that is chasing him, the guy that in some eyes probably has surpassed him, would be Mookie Betts. And I want to show you a series of different charts here to demonstrate just how close this race is. Maybe not that close, maybe tilting incredibly in Betts' favor. Let's start off with OPS, the OPS comparison. Betts, 1.018. Freeman, Freddie Freeman, a candidate himself, 9.98, Olsen, 9.76. Acuna, actually fourth at 9.75. Now, I'm not mentioning Freddie Freeman And Matt Olson, as prominently as Betts and Acuna, even though you'll see they're right there, their first baseman, their defensive value is not as great. All right. Now let's go to war. Here's F war. Now, I know war is an estimate and some people don't like it. I get it. But it is one measure we have for all around play, all around contribution. And here, Betts has a huge lead over Freeman and Acuna. And when I look at it and see bets at 7.3, Freeman at 6.6, Acuna at 6.2, that is a huge lead, folks, as far as war is concerned. In B-War, this is baseball reference war, a little bit different calculation, Bets again, a huge lead over Acuna. And Mookie has done one thing that really no other player does as well and really does at all. He's played three different positions and played them at an extremely high level. He's a gold glove right fielder. He's played shortstop this season. He's played second base. That versatility is going to help him in the balloting. Of course, his offensive prowess, we saw it this weekend again in Boston. That's going to help him in the balloting. Do I believe he's the MVP over Acuna at this point? I sort of see it as a coin flip. Acuna has been absolutely brilliant. But let's see how the rest of the season plays out. Because both teams have pretty significant division leads. It's not like one guy is going to put the other or put his team over the top. But at the same time, we could see one of them slip a little bit, the other one surge even more, although I don't know how much higher either can go. So it's a great race. I don't know that there's a bad answer when we're talking about Mookie Betts versus Ronald Acuna Jr. And no slight to Freddie Freeman and Matt Olson, Matt Olson who leads the league in home runs and RBIs, by the way. They've both been amazing as well. I just don't give them as much credit defensively as I do Betts and Acuna. This is a race that will go down to the wire. Time now for the inside dish. This is the segment in which I go inside a story I've recently written or take a deep dive into one of the bigger stories in the game. And right now, the biggest story in the game, of course, is Shohei Ohtani. Ohtani we know has a torn UCL. We also know he has undergone one Tommy John surgery and now he might require a second. Now, after the news came out, I wrote a column basically saying, actually not basically, I came out and said it, that he is still a $500 million player in free agency. And I got the usual blowback from fans saying, what an idiot I am. Well, I've covered the game now. This is my 37th year. I've been a national baseball writer. It's my 23rd year. And it's amazing to me how often I'm the dumbest guy in the room. But actually, I had a reason for writing what I did. And the reason I wrote it is simply a comparison with Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge, if you recall, was 31 years old or entering his age 31 season when he signed a nine-year, $360 million free agent contract with the Yankees. He had offers for more than $400 million from the San Diego Padres, maybe even from the Giants. So it stands to reason that Otani is the best player in the game right now, two years younger than Aaron Judge, could get that. And from an offensive standpoint, yeah, that alone could do it, knowing that you perhaps will get him as a pitcher as well. I don't know that anyone believes that he's going to need to give up pitching, though recovering from a second UCL injury is much more complicated than the first. Okay, that was the reason I wrote what I did. But the problem with anything that is written right now is that there is still so much we don't know. So I want to go through some questions right now and some questions that have come up in the wake of the Otani injury and hopefully provide, if not answers, at least some insight into what is going on. The first question, this one came up over the weekend. Why didn't Otani get imaging sooner? And the Angels GM Perry Manasian had a news conference basically explaining that Otani and his agent, Nezbolelo of CAA, did not want to get imaging. They did not believe that there was an issue That warranted imaging. And if you go back and you look at the timeline, what happened? He had a finger issue that caused him to leave three consecutive starts in late June and early July. Then he had cramping that forced him out of consecutive games as a hitter in late July. And at that point, he cited fatigue, took some time off. It was understandable that he might be tired, considering that he's been pitching and hitting at an extremely high level the entire season. So, according to Manazian, imaging was offered to Otani and the agent, and Otani said, No, it's not warranted. We don't need it. And keep in mind, a player in his free agent year doesn't want an MRI in his file in most cases. They want to show a clean bill of health. So, Otani comes out and pitches last Wednesday, and of course, leaves the game, and then it is revealed he has a torn UCL. People might ask, OK, how did this happen? Well, People could blame the WBC. He certainly had a big performance in that. You can blame the pitch clock. You can also blame the fact that he throws really hard and that pitchers get hurt. This is what happens. The suspicion or the belief is that he injured himself in that game because he came out in the first inning throwing 95. It's hard to throw 95 with a torn UCL. He injures himself and then, of course, continues playing. This is the next question. Why is he still playing? Well... As we know, and we've seen from Otani before, you cannot do any further damage to a UCL when you're hitting. So that's why he's still out there at this point. But my question is, well, why is he still out there when he should be figuring this out and making a decision on what he wants to do? He does have a chance to hit 50 home runs. We know that. He has a chance to sew up the MVP. We know that as well. And he can do some historic things still. And Let's look at one of them. 50 homers and 20 stolen bases. Only four players in history have done that. Some pretty big names on this list. Ken Griffey Jr., 1998, 56 homers, 20 steals. Alex Rodriguez, 2007, 54 homers, 24 steals. Willie Mays, 1955, 51 homers, 24 steals. And Brady Anderson, I covered this season for the Baltimore Sun. 50 homers and 21 steals in 1996, Ohtani, right now, 44 homers, 19 steals with 31 games left. So he can get there. He's got enough plate appearances to qualify for the batting title. He's a factor in every triple crown category as well. So maybe he simply wants to push this out as long as he can and keep playing and postpone his decision. That's the part I really don't understand here. Why doesn't he simply make this call right now, begin the rehabilitation process if he needs surgery? Begin it even if he doesn't need surgery. Do whatever he's going to do. We don't know exactly what the diagnosis is. We don't know where the tear is. We don't know necessarily how it compares to the first one, though it has been said and reported that it is in a different spot. So, what's going on here? Presumably he's gathering more information. Maybe he's looking for alternatives. If you remember, his first Tommy John surgery it was a rather long recovery. He had it October 1st, 2018. Didn't pitch again until July 2020. That's a good chunk of time, some 18 months or so. And when he came back, and admittedly, that was the shortened season, so he couldn't come back before July 2020. When he came back, he pitched only one and two-thirds innings in two starts before they shut him down again with a forearm strain. So effectively, After his surgery in 2018, he did not pitch for two years. And we all know when you have a Tommy John revision, a second Tommy John surgery, the recovery process is more complicated. It can take longer. And if you read Evandrellic's story in The Athletic last week, it was quite interesting to learn that doctors feel if you're going to come back as a pitcher, what you should do is not hit at all. Remember, he came back in 2019 as a hitter in May. Surgery October 2018 comes back as a hitter in May. Well, what the doctors were saying, and these are not guys who are Otani's personal doctors, but just people who were experts in the field. What they're saying is that if you really want to make this recovery go smoothly, the best way to do it is to not hit at all. Just focus entirely on your rehabilitation. So we are waiting to see what the diagnosis is. We are waiting to see what the prognosis is. Otani has yet to speak publicly, his agent has yet to speak publicly, Manazian has twice spoken publicly, but he's the GM of a guy who is going to become a free agent. And it's interesting, and this was pointed out to me last night, and it's worth mentioning. Anthony Rendon, much different player, much different situation, gets criticized and has been criticized lately for not talking, not giving any updates, doesn't want to talk. Otani never talks except after starts and he might not make another start all season or will not make another start all season. And yet we accept that because he's Shohei Otani until he starts giving answers. We are not going to know anything more about where this is going. This guy is essentially the Sphinx of baseball. We never know what he's thinking and it's his right entirely not to talk to the media and to keep his thoughts private. We don't know what his thoughts are regarding free agency. We don't know what his thoughts are regarding his injury. We don't know really what makes him tick. What is going to be his goal in free agency? What is going to be his goal going forward as a player? Does he perhaps consider now just hitting entirely? Does he still want to pitch? None of this is even remotely in our knowledge right now. So we're just going to have to wait and see. Obviously, we all want him back as soon as possible. We all want him back as the player he was. If he can't be that player, okay, he'll still be something special. Time now for Dude and Dork of the Week. The Dude is a player we discussed earlier in the show, but yeah, he's gonna be the Dude of the Week too. And the player is Mookie Betts. He's Dude of the Week, not simply because his return to Boston was an absolute triumph. He went seven for 15, two doubles and a homer, played brilliantly, but it's because also of the way he carries himself, the class that he shows in virtually every scenario. And going back to Boston, he could have talked about how the Red Sox didn't make him this offer or that offer. No, he rose above the fray. He said, that's a question for the Red Sox and what they wanted to do, how they handled this, and basically removed himself from that conversation. And there was a question at the time when he was still with the Red Sox. Did he really want to stay in Boston? And he has said, if the Red Sox had made him the offer, the Dodgers later did, then yes, he would have. We don't know. If the Red Sox had thrown enough money at him, yes, of course, I believe he would have stayed in Boston. Why wouldn't he? Bottom line is, the debate is over. Mookie certainly doesn't have to be in the middle of it. He can rise above it, and he did. Handles himself always with such dignity and grace. Mookie Betts, dude of the week. Dork of the week! I believe this is round two for this cat. Maybe not. But I wrote about him last week, and I wrote about him because he spoke to Tyler Kepner of the New York Times. Tyler now with The Athletic, by the way. But Tyler's last story for the New York Times was an interview with the Orioles' main guy, John Angelos. And John Angelos said a number of things that I found objectionable in that story, one of which was that the Orioles are not going to be able to afford guys like Adley Rushman and Gunnar Henderson long-term unless they massively raise ticket prices Because otherwise they might financially go underwater. And my column last week was essentially keyed on those comments. And the reason that he is dork of the week is because they are simply comments that are not true. The Orioles, yes, even the Orioles, can afford players long term. I made the point in the article that the Orioles signed Chris Davis to a seven-year, $161 million free agent contract. In October 2016, they did not go financially underwater. They did not massively raise ticket prices. They did not go bankrupt. I made the point also that the Tampa Bay Rays signed Wanda Franco for $182 million, same offseason, offered Freddie Freeman 140 or 150 It was his choice. Uh, they're doing okay, too. They're surviving. Now, granted, I'm not dismissing that teams with lower revenues have significant challenges in this sport greater challenges to an extent than their high-revenue brethren. But don't tell me that you can't afford players. You can afford players. John Angelos, Dork of the Week. And by the way, if John Angelos continues to stretch out the Orioles' lease negotiations with the Maryland Stadium Authority, their lease expires December 31st, he's going to be Dork of the Week again. The state is offering him $600 million if he signs the lease. $600 million for ballpark upgrades. Uh, that should be enough. It's been hot and sunny everywhere lately, which is why it's so important to protect your eyes. And that's why I want to tell you as well about our new sponsor, Shady Rays. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that has a world-class product that is just as good as the expensive sunglasses that are out there. They have durable frames, extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And what really separates them is the best protection plan in the industry. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they will send you a brand new pair with no questions asked. It's pretty good. And if you don't love your Shady Rays, you can exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. So you can buy and wear your Shady Rays with the confidence that they have your back. From building playsets for pediatric cancer patients to providing young adults with MS, the outdoor adventure of a lifetime. Shady Rays is helping communities all over the place. And that is, of course, another reason why I am so happy that they are one of our sponsors. Now, Shady Rays are giving out their best deal of the season. So go to ShadyRays.com and use code F-O-U-L for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself. The Shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Looking ahead this week on Fox, I've got Phillies at Brewers, really looking forward to this one, two potential playoff teams, likely playoff teams, I would say, and the Milwaukee Brewers right now playing at an exceedingly high level. They've won eight straight, they've stretched their lead in the NL Central to four games, and the thing I love about the Brewers, and honestly, they are one of my favorite teams to follow, because they always play to their expectations, if not beyond, and usually beyond, quite frankly. Their manager, Craig Council, he's in the last year of his deal. We know this. He's a special manager. He gets things out of that team that I don't know that other managers could. So the Brewers, again, look like a team that could make some noise in the postseason. And I say that because Brandon Woodruff is healthy. They've got Corbin Burns. They've got Freddie Peralta. They have the kind of rotation that can do some damage in a postseason series. Resurgent Christian Yelich. Offensively, they're not great, but they're good enough. Defensively, they're pretty darn good. So Phillies at Brewers, looking forward to that one this week. Now, let's go to Grilling Ken, in which you guys ask me plenty of questions about what's going on in this sport. Let's start with Greg Wells. Greg asks, the Nats have gone 24-15 and 15 since the All-Star break. That's a 600 pace over six and a half weeks, six-ish weeks. Are they improving faster than expected? Is their rebuild ahead of schedule? Interesting question, Greg. And I wrote about the Nationals today in my notes column. And I kind of dug deep into what they are doing and how they are doing this. And it's refreshing, actually, that Davey Martinez and his staff, they are trying to instill in this young team fundamental skills, the way to play the game properly. This is the kind of thing they're emphasizing right now. You might say, well, Ken, don't all teams do that? "Ah, I don't know so much if all teams do that. Right now, we see an emphasis on metrics, sometimes over fundamentals. And yet, what you're seeing from the Nationals is an improved base running team, an improved defensive team, this bears out statistically, and a team that in August at least is striking out batters at a greater rate than it has in almost two years. So the Nationals look pretty good right now. And yes, their rebuild might be a little bit ahead of schedule. Not sure I trust it entirely. Their farm system is pretty top heavy. They've got some elite prospects who are not quite there. But the depth of their system may not be as strong as some teams. At the Same time, you've got some young players performing well at the big league level. You've got a rotation that probably you're going to wonder about if it can be as good next year. But still, the Nationals are playing extremely well. They're ahead of the Mets in the NL East. They've got the same record as the Padres. Kudos to the Nats. Next question comes from Brian. Brian asks, for all the hype, is the Tampa model overrated? Friedman et al. have one title between them and has a huge asterisk because it was the COVID season. Now, Brian, I appreciate the question, but I'm going to challenge you here. To me, the measure of a franchise and an organization, the success of an organization, is not World Series titles. Of course, every team wants to win a World Series title. It's really hard to do, especially now with an expanded postseason. To me, the measure of an organization is success in the regular season. And can a team sustain that success? The Dodgers certainly have. The Rays certainly have. The Red Sox, with Heim Bloom as their head of baseball operations, they've been kind of up and down. So you can say they haven't been consistent. That's fair. But I would say the Tampa model, if you want to call it that, has been pretty darn successful. And the fact that it's produced only one World Series championship in a COVID season That does not diminish at all for me what those teams have accomplished. The Rays are a low-revenue team. The fact they compete the way they do every year is something of a miracle in this sport. And, again, I just believe that all of those teams that you might want to include in the Tampa model, Matt Arnold, he is from Tampa Bay as well. He's with the Milwaukee Brewers now. James Click, they won a World Series last year in Houston. He came from Tampa Bay, so it's really two World Series titles. and They've done okay. All right. Final question now comes from, let's see where we're at here. Aaron Perez. Aaron says, do you think the PR parade by John Fisher helped or hurt his cause? Well, it depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to John Fisher or Dave Cavill, everything's going great. We're going to Vegas. But if you're talking to fans in Oakland, fans of baseball who have been paying attention here, no. All of their talk is just talk. Now, I wrote in my notes column as well today that There are some things happening on the field for the A's that, even though they're on a 115-loss pace, are somewhat promising. But when Fisher says we're going to have a much more expensive team in Las Vegas, I don't know why anyone should believe him. When he says all the things about how great things are going to be, no, you've got to prove it, pal. And we've seen you tear down this team, a very successful franchise. We've seen it become almost a self-fulfilling prophecy of failure in Oakland. That's on ownership. So John Fisher can talk to the Las Vegas paper all he wants, can paint the rosiest future imaginable, but we'll see how this team performs once it gets to Vegas in 28. And by the way, there are a few seasons that will take place before that. John Fisher, you're going to play baseball then or are you just going to wait? We'll see. I want to thank everyone for their questions. I want to thank everyone for listening, for watching. You know where to find us? YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Like us, subscribe to us. One programming note. Next week, we're gonna do the show on Tuesday instead of Monday. Monday is Labor Day. And I don't know that anybody's gonna be paying attention to what we're saying on Labor Day. So we're gonna push it to Tuesday. Have a great week, everyone. Have a great holiday. And we'll talk to you then. Hey, FT Live fam. If you're new to the party on the BetMGM Sports app, enter the promo code FOWL. F-O-U-L for up to $1,000 back if your first bet loses. It's simple. Ready? Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gotta use the bonus code, FOWL.